Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. turn with me in your Bible or your pew Bible in front of you or on your Bible app to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 3 through 10. That's where our text this morning will come from. So let's hear Paul's words to his partner in ministry and to us. Whoever teaches otherwise and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ And the teaching that is in accordance with godliness is conceited, understanding nothing, and has a morbid craving for controversy and for dispute about words. From these come envy, dissension, slander, base suspicions, and wrangling among those depraved in the mind and bereft of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pains. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Well, gracious Lord, as we gather this morning, as we celebrate the sacrament of a new member of your family. As we welcome a new family into our family, as we lay our petitions at your feet, as we sing your praises, as we hear your word read and proclaimed, you are speaking to us throughout all the actions of worship this morning. So speak so clearly that our souls know what you want us to know, that our very lives hear what you want us to hear so that we would be transformed and leave this place not as just passive hearers of your words, but as disciples, as doers of your words. All this we humbly ask in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So picture the image, if you will, with me. There's an apartment complex that is burned to the ground. There is a smoldering, wet, smoky mess. There are fire trucks up and down the street. There are hoses that are being drained of water and rolled up. Firefighters have sort of moved into the next phase of their work. And people are gathered around just looking at the remains. And over in the corner, over off to the side, there's a woman with a baby cocked on her hip, a couple of photo albums in her purse just sort of piled at her feet 
along with the crate of a wet and unhappy cat. You got the image. And there's a news reporter with a microphone and she says, tell me what's it like, tell me how you deal with, how you're going to deal with all this devastation. Everything's a total loss. And the woman says, my husband's on his way from his work to get us. But we're going to be okay. Because everything that matters most is right here. The rest of it is just stuff. It can be replaced. So think of it, if you will, with me. In the midst of arguably the worst day in her life, a day that she claims is not good, but arguably the worst day, she says she has all she needs right there. How could she be so content with 98% of the things of her life are destroyed behind her, in the backdrop. How could she be so content? See, I think there's a lesson in there for us, this idea of how it might impact how we live if we start to listen to what she said and begin to take that into account into our own lives. And it's one of contentment. Contentment with the blessings of God. So in our passage today, Paul is writing to his protege, Timothy, Timothy, who has been appointed to the outpost of the church of Ephesus. He's a young minister, still figuring it all out. So Paul has this burden on his heart to not only help lead the church in Ephesus, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, but also to help Timothy succeed. And so in this section of the letter, in chapter, in chapter 6 of this letter, he's writing to admonish Timothy to watch out for false teachers to admonish the church to listen to false teachers who show seeds of dissent and envy and suspicion. Now that's not the focus of today's sermon, but it's like an add-on for us in the world around us to listen out for the false teachers who sowed seeds of dissent and envy because what we know is that the truth, the truth is what will set us free. Not the words of deceit, dissent, and envy. But we get down to verse 6 in this passage and we get to his core teaching. And I love what he writes here. There is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. You brought nothing in the world and can take nothing out of it. It's as if Paul says to Timothy, look, have you ever seen a hearse with a trailer? That's what he's really saying here. You brought nothing in the world, can you take, can you take nothing out? If you have food and clothing, be content with these. In other words, be content with the blessings of God. And he further debunks the cliche that says the money is the root of all evil. Notice he says, he didn't say money is the root of all evil. He said the love of money is the root of all evil. See, the lesson in this whole passage is for us as we manage, as we are stewards of the blessings of God that which God has bestowed upon us, to be content with what we have received, with what we have. So if that's the case, as followers, the disciples of the risen Christ, then we need to recognize that part of our human nature is to struggle with this balance between contentment and discontent. 
Sometimes a little discontent is not bad. We'll talk about that in a minute. But not only that, that we need to cultivate contentment in our lives to be really content with what we have and finally to simplify our lives. Because in that simplification, we find greater contentment. See, at the end of it, what Paul is writing to Timothy and to us essentially is the life that God wants for you and for me is one where we are truly content with the blessings that God has bestowed upon us. So let's start with this tension between discontentment and contentment. Now, again, it's part of our human nature. God didn't set us up as automatons to just take everything. He wanted us to evaluate, to use logic, and to struggle with things so that we would realize whose we are and whose, we're to, whose ministry, whose work we're to be about. So here's an example of discontentment. Have you ever gotten up in the morning or you had to go somewhere and you decided, okay, I'm going to finally get dressed and you go to put an outfit on and you don't like the way it looks? And so you change something about, oh, I don't like the shirt. So you put a different shirt on. Oh, I don't like that. And you throw it on the floor. And I don't like this tie. You throw it on the floor. Or I don't like these shoes. Or you toss them somewhere else aside. And you just kind of go through it all and you finally go, oh, to heck with it all. I'm not going to go out at all. And so you pull on a sweatshirt and a pair of shorts and you go stomping in the kitchen. Now you're just really just steamed up. You're discontent, by the way but it's going to get better or worse, depending on how you want to look at it. And you go and you open up the fridge, and it's full of all of your favorite foods. I mean, everything you want to eat. And you move some things around, you move some things around, and you go, oh, I don't feel like eating any of this. I'm, I'm, I'm hungry, but I don't feel like eating this. So you just go and you plop on the couch, and you grab the clicker, and you start driving the channels. Now, you've got the streaming services to beat the band. You've got the cable service. You've got the salad. You've got 450 options, and guess what? There's not one thing you want to watch. Been there? And then you reach over the stack of magazines on the coffee table, and you start flipping through it, the ones that you haven't read that have been sitting there for a couple of weeks. The ones you're going to get to when you get around to it, now you're around to it and you're just flipping through it. And finally, at the end of it, you're just, well, nothing's making you happy. You're in a great period of discontentment. That's just what it is. It's when you're not happy with what you have all around you and yet you have everything you need and want. Now, sometimes discontentment has value. Remember, I said that just a few minutes ago. See, discontentment is this part of, our, part of our nature that helps us seek change. So when you're not happy with the relationship with your friends, you realize you need to do some work on it. That's a little bit of discontentment and it compels you to do something. When you're ill at ease with your physical health and you sort of get a picture of this and you go, oh my gosh, I'm out of shape. I should probably do something about that. That's discontentment working for the positive. When you're yearning for a better relationship with God, you're discontent. See, that discontentment drives us to be our best selves. That's what God wants for you and me. That's why he gives us the gift of discontentment, to be our best selves. But oftentimes, discontentment destroys things. Because we're not being discontent for our best selves. Instead, we're being discontent for the trappings around us. The restless pursuit of stuff where we're trying to find satisfaction and contentment with the things that we surround ourselves with 
that fails us more often than not. And we find ourselves still discontented. So we keep going down that rabbit hole, looking, thinking, well, maybe it's this, or maybe if it's that, or maybe it's this. And we find out that we've got everything we could ever want, and we're still not happy. I mean, how often have you bought something and you thought, if I could finally buy that, it's an Xbox whatever or a PlayStation whatever, this will be it, this will be the penultimate gaming system and I'll be happy until, guess what? 18 months from now, they're going to come out with the next version of that. And the graphics will be better. And that's what you want. See, when we're chasing those kinds of things, we're chasing an endorphin high that only lasts for a small moment of time. That's when discontent destroys us because it gets us on a rinse and repeat habit of chasing things that don't matter, chasing things that don't build us up, chasing things that really don't help us be our best selves. So when we as human beings begin to recognize that we struggle with discontentment and that sometimes discontentment motivates us to be better and sometimes it leads us away, then once we recognize that about ourselves, we can make a real change in our lives. We can begin to cultivate contentment, the kind that God really wants for us. It's the kind of contentment that gets us where we might find ourselves one day standing with a smoldering mess of whatever behind us and we can say with confidence... It's just stuff. All that I have that matters most is right here with me. So to get there, we've got to cultivate that kind of a feeling. So there's four things I want us to think about with that, four kind of keys that might help us cultivate contentment in our lives. The first is look for the silver lining. That sounds a little Pollyanna-ish, but let me just tell you, there's some truth to it. In periods of discontent, in periods of dissatisfaction, when we seek the positive, when we seek the silver lining, when we look for the bright side of things, no matter how dismal we think they might be, we'll find it. We could utter the words, it could be worse, and we could think of a thousand reasons why whatever we're dealing with is bad, but it could be worse. See, there's always some good for us to find if we're willing to focus on that. If we're willing to look for the good in the world around us, we can find it. Go back to my my raging uh, expose on discontentment. I mean, you've got a closet full of clothes. Surely that's a good thing. You have all the food you could ever want to eat in the fridge. That's a good thing. You have a TV, a couch, and a roof over your head and the power to drive it all. That's a good thing. You have magazines to read. You know how to read. These are good things. So when we start to look for the silver lining, we start to find the good, we begin to realize that maybe it's not so bad. The second, we start to think about how we purchase and acquire things. Before we go to buy it, ask, how long will this make me happy? I mean, is this really why you're buying it, to make yourself happy? How long will this thing that I'm about to buy make me happy? The third is to develop a grateful heart. Now, contentment flows from gratitude. So in the back of your bulletin, there's a, there's a, there's a blank space that's got a bunch of lines on it, and there's white space in the margins. If I just sort of called time out right now and said for the next 15 minutes, I want you to fill in all your blessings, and then we'll do the benediction and we'll go home. 
I will bet that some of you would raise your hand and go, can we have more time? Can we have more time to do this? So that's your homework, by the way. Go home, whether it's a legal pad, the back of the bulletin, go home and start writing your blessings down. Because when we begin to count the blessings that really matter, the things in our lives that really matter, are we grateful for them? Do we say thanks for them? Because isn't that enough? The things that really matter, isn't that enough for our lives? All the other dreams, desires, wishes, the Sears robot catalog, whatever it is that we want, the Amazon wish list, aren't the things that matter most, aren't we grateful for those? See, the more we give thanks, the deeper our feeling of contentment grows. And the final part is this, ask where our soul finds satisfaction. Where do we find true satisfaction in life? The Bible tells us that we should find that in God. And if we get serious about that, if we really spend time reading this and really spend time going through this, finding the true satisfaction that God wants us to find, it gets summed up in those two commandments. Love God with all your heart and all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we begin to live that way, we find a new layer of contentment. So I encourage you this week to practice those four steps to cultivate that sense of contentment. And the more you do that, that sense of discontentment will fade. As we intentionally cultivate contentment, we'll feel less desire to try to keep up with the Joneses. We let them have all that stuff. Let them have the rat race instead. We'll be happy with what God has already provided us. And then what flows out of this idea of contentment is this idea of simplicity. I mean, simplicity and contentment kind of go together like mac and cheese. I mean, that's really what it's about. It's about this idea of realizing that God has simply given you and me all that we need. And once we realize that, to be truly happy in it. Because the rest of it is just stuff that can be replaced So we can cultivate simplicity by five simple steps. One, just to reduce our consumption. We can thinking about the footprint that we leave in the world. So looking at things like, say, the thermostat. There's always in every household that I know of, there seems to be a war about what the air conditioner should be set out in the summer and what the heat should be set out in the winter. What if you met towards the middle? You saved a few bucks on either side of that. One, you save a few bucks. But two... We're not consuming as much energy. We're leaving something left for the world. It's just like using cloth, uh, cloth, try that again. It's like using cloth grocery sacks. You know, the plastic bags are really easy and they're convenient, but the cloth ones are reusable and they don't damage the earth. So as we lower our consumption of stuff, we raise our level of contentment and vice versa. Ask ourselves before we decide that we need to engage in a round of retail therapy because we're having a down day, do I really need this? These are two questions. I'll admit they're meddlesome and they bother me and I I run myself through this all the time. If I'm having a down day and I happen to go into Lowe's, do I really need that wrench? I've already got enough, don't I? And I can make up an excuse to buy a new wrench or a new tool if I really want to, but when I really ask myself, Do I really need it? It changes the outlook. Third, use it up before you buy something new. 
How often do we have things that aren't totally worn out that we go ahead and replace? I have a friend that is, um, he's a technology wizard. He's, a, he's all into that stuff. He will get every new iPhone that comes out. Like when they, reduce, they reduced the, the 13 last year. He got that one and he's already looking at the 14 and he's salivating like Pavlov's dog. He's wanting to get it. But really, his 13's not outdated by our standards. By Apple's standards, yes. But really, does he need it before he's fully used up the other one? Finally, begin to look at just in our lives how we look at simple, how we behave. One of the things that we learned in the 2020 shutdown was when we couldn't go out and do all the things that we're used to. We learned how to hunker in place and how to be with our families and to experience new times and new opportunities. All of a sudden, where we might have just not communicated with each other, we were playing games of Uno around the table or taking long walks in the afternoon to catch up with each other and to reconnect with each other. Simplicity brought our level of contentment up. So what we leave ourselves asking is this question about simplicity. Are there changes in my life that I can make that will simplify my life and in doing so actually make me happier? Actually raise my contentment? Actually make my life seemingly better and with less worry and anxiety? And see, when we cultivate that kind of contentment, then we really are having the life that God wants for us. So think about what Paul was writing to Timothy, and he's talking about this idea of being content. You came into the world with nothing, you can leave the world with nothing. If you have clothes and food, be content with that. What he was really talking about was the same image that I brought to the very beginning of the sermon. The same conversation of the woman as her apartment had burned down with her baby on her hip, her husband on his way home from work, a few photo albums at their feet, their pet, and her purse. Everything that I need that matters most is right here. The rest of it is just stuff. See, friends, when we realize that God has blessed us with what we need right here, and the rest of it is just stuff, then it changes the way we look at life, doesn't it? It changes the way we follow the gospel. It changes the people that God has created into being the people that God wants us to be. So this week, let us cultivate contentment in what matters most every day in our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.